Anyone ever get irritated? I mean, there are some things that just push your button, you know? They're like, bam, that's irritating. You know, something that drives me crazy is when I'm at the store and there are long lines. The long lines isn't the problem, but when they finally open up a new lane and the cashier goes, I'm open over here. And then the person in the back of the line, they've been waiting for 10 seconds now, they practically knock everyone over to be the first one into the line. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know who I'm more irritated at. The person that's jockeying for position, my mom or whoever it is, or the clerk that should have walked over to one of the lines and said, I'll take the next person in line here. You know, I was a cashier for years. So that's, that's just something I find irritating. You know, several years ago, I was at McDonald's. And uh, I, it was kind of late in the evening. And there was a car that had already placed their order. And they were waiting. There was one car in front of me. And I sat there for probably 12, maybe 15 minutes. And the whole time, I'm thinking, what is going on? What is taking so long? Finally, the car in front of me moved. I get up to the box. I waited a few more minutes. And the guy goes, sir, I'm sorry, we just closed. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. I'm like, are, are you serious? I, I've been waiting maybe 10 minutes. And, and no joke, the kid on the other end goes, we close at 11 and it's 11. And the fact that I remember, and that was several years ago, would tell you something, right? And I'm not the only one that, that gets irritated. I'm not the only one that stuff rubs them the wrong way. You know, it gets on nerves. We all have things, don't we, that we find irritating? You know, Cindy would tell you a while, a while back she was on the phone with the cable company. And she was talking to them about our rates for DSL. And in the middle of the conversation, the uh, cable specialist on the other end says, I see you've got DSL. You're paying more for a slower speed. We have a faster speed now for less money. Now, here's the irritating part. Would you be interested in it? I don't know if it's because she was on hold so long or what, but Cindy, who normally, unless it's something I do, doesn't get irritated about anything, she, she answers. She goes, no, I'd rather pay a higher price for a lower speed. It just hit a nerve. I know, hard to believe, isn't it? You thought she was a saint. Hmm. I mean, we all do things that get on people's nerves. Sometimes we know it, and we're aware that it's annoying, and, and sometimes we're not aware of what it is. I remember when I was a teenager, I was living in Springfield at the time, and we were at Pizza Hut, and there were a bunch of us teenagers that would go there because 
They had all-you-could-eat pizza for one low price. Now, I, I understand there are buffets all over the place now, but in that day, that was a big deal. And so I had a group of friends. We would gather there, and we would spend two, three hours. Now, that probably was irritating enough, but one evening, uh, a buddy of mine, it was his birthday, and they had this great song on the jukebox. It was the birthday song, and the chipmunks were singing it. And it kind of had like a skit on the front end, and Dave's trying to gather the boys up. He's trying to get them to sing. And so the first time you hear the skit, Alvin and Simon and Theodore, I mean, they're adorable. And I'm thinking, man, this is really cool. And then I'm thinking, if one time's cool, 25 times would be really cool. And so I loaded the jukebox up. Now, this was kind of like a psychological thriller, you know. Child's play with Chucky, no. This was happy birthday with the chipmunks, all right? It keeps playing and playing. About the tenth time through the song, people are staring at us. And it wasn't a good thing, all right? Finally, the manager... He comes out. He never. He doesn't say a word. He just comes out. He unplugs the jukebox. All right. Fast ramp. I'm a pastor in Springfield. A guy after the service comes up to me, and I'd been there probably almost a year at that point. And he, he comes over and he goes, Reverend Talkington, there's something I've been wanting to ask you. And he tells me the story about the chipmunk song at Pizza Hut. And he wants to know if I'm the one. He was a manager there. And I I remember thinking the fact that he remembered this story is not good. And so I admitted it, and we kind of laughed about it. And when he was walking off, I... uh, Yelled at him, I said, hey, any chance of getting a refund on the songs I didn't get to listen to? <laughs> and uh, it, was kind of, it was kind of our, uh, our thing after, after that. It was uh, kind, of, kind of funny. But um, today what I want to talk about are a few things that irritate me, things that get under my skin. Particularly, I want to talk about a few things that irritate me about Christians. You know, one of the things that really irritates me is... When people or Christians are all talk, and that's all it is. You know, sometimes I have to catch myself on this one because it's so easy to talk, 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 and then have no deeds to it. And I believe there's something terribly wrong when, when we hear all the talk, but then you begin looking at the life And there's absolutely nothing to back it up. In other words, the the talk and our actual life don't really sync up. I mean, have you ever met someone, and no point in here, okay? But have you ever met someone that says, I love Jesus. You know, I love the church. I love God. You know, God is the highest priority in my life. The church means so much to me. But everything in their life 
says something else? I mean, it's kind of hit and miss when it comes to church. It's spotty at best. It just screams God's a low priority. In fact, if you were to follow that person around for a while, not only would you say, I don't know if it's top priority in their life. I'm not even sure it's in the top ten. I think, how, how can that be? How, how can we have that kind of discrepancy? Why, why do we have that discrepancy? Because love promotes action. There, there are things we do because of love, true? I remember Cindy and I were first dating, and I, I had fallen in love. I wanted to spend all my time with her. And I still love spending time with Cindy. But I, back then, I wanted to spend every single minute I could with her because I loved her. And so we would spend, like, all day together. I would drive home, and this was before cell phones, or at least I didn't have one. And uh, I would call her as soon as I got home. And we would talk for hours more. I would think of reasons to see her. I remember one summer, and it was in the, in the middle of the summer, I was down in my basement and I was kind of going through things, and I realized I had two snow shovels. Yeah, that's how twisted my mind is. I'm looking, I'm thinking, I got two snow shovels. Cindy doesn't have a snow shovel. I better rush this over to her house so she's prepared. I, no joke, that, that is... True, true, true story. I drove an 80-mile round trip to hand her a snow shovel and talk to her at the door for about five minutes. You know why? Because I wanted her to know that I loved her. It took energy. It took time. It cost at times. Love promotes action in life. Love becomes very evident in how we live. It impacts what we do. It impacts what we talk about. It impacts how we spend our time, how we spend our energies, what we do with our resources. That's what love does. I mean, love infiltrates your heart. Let, let me ask you. You say you love Jesus. You say you love God. But if we were to put you on trial today what evidence is there that you are a follower of jesus christ i mean if, if we were to put you on trial would there be enough evidence to convict you would there be any evidence you know james tells us that all talk and no deeds is something all right james puts it this way says in the same way Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. Ooh. Ouch, that one hurts. And don't misunderstand me. Talk is fine. In fact, talk's important. But eventually, you need something to, to add to it. You need something happening in your life besides talk. Words and deeds, at some point, they need to sync up. You know, words are important. We're, we're to profess our faith. We, we are to share our faith. 
we are to tell people that, that we love Jesus Christ, that we love God, that we love faith fellowship, that we love being used by God. We love the fact that Jesus Christ saved me. We should tell people that. But friends, it should impact how we live. And so, kind of reality check, is your faith more than talk? Here's another thing that irritates me, really gets under my skin, and that is Christians that would rather be the police than a rescue worker. This has bothered me from the get-go as long as I can remember. As a child, it bothered me. You know, maybe uh, someone's marriage is falling apart or their family was in trouble or maybe they had trouble with the law or something in their life they weren't honoring God and that sin kind of took hold and started destroying and things are spinning out. And Christians, it was my observation, instead of helping, spend a lot of time talking about it. Spend a lot of time gossiping. You know, a lot of time pointing and passing judgment. Oh, isn't that awful? Did you hear about? Oh, that is so wrong. I'll tell you what. And I even have heard people, they'll go, hmm, finally, they're getting what they deserve. Like, like it's a good thing? You know, it's bothered me because it seems like too many Christians are, are practicing law without a license. The fact is they've appointed themselves as moral police of their community or their, the circles that they run in. And what I find real interesting is whatever that standard is that they lift up, it's usually a one-way street. And friends, i got to tell you, that goes against everything that Jesus Christ is about. I mean, what if, what if, Instead of uh, deputizing ourselves, what if instead we got involved in search and rescue in life? You know, what if our, our first response to a broken life or to a family that was in distress or a marriage that's fallen apart, what if our response was to help instead of, oh, that's awful and, oh, they're breaking God's rules and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, what if our first thought was, I've got to help. I've got to reach out. I've got to get them to church. I've got to get them to Jesus Christ, the great physician. I've got to get them to a place where they can find healing, where they can find restoration, where they can get help, where they can learn some of the skills to get out of the ditch, so to speak, where they can learn to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised. I mean, what if, instead of bringing down the law and using Scripture to to beat people up and condemn people, what if we use Scripture to show people a new way of living, a new life? What if we were to give them a new hope through God's Word? You know, Paul writes, he says, God's chosen one, holy and beloved, Clothe yourself with judgment. That's not what it says, is it? Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against you, forgive each other. Just as the Lord's forgiven you, 
so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, I have said many times to people that that serve that when you love someone, when you love someone where they are, it marks them. In fact, I believe if you love someone where they are, at some point, they will allow you to help them change. The fact is, people are drawn. People are drawn to people that show grace, people that, that love, people that are encouraging. Don't misunderstand me. Also, people that are honest, that are willing to say, you know, that's out there. That is not acceptable. That is not God's design. But love is central. Love is central. That's something that really bothers me. Something else that really bothers me is Christians and and churches that speak Christianese. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'll be honest. This one, it's not so much that it's irritating. It's just sad. It's just sad because... I know on the surface, people look and, and they think, oh, that's not, that's not a big deal, is it? No, this is huge. This is huge. You know, Christians go around and we kind of talk like we're the King James Bible, you know, and nothing against it. If you read King James Bible, it's a fine translation. But when we start talking that way, nobody understands us. They, I mean, unless they were raised in the 1600s. Anybody that old here today? You know. I mean, we cannot use language that no one understands. We, we are called to communicate the most important message in the world, and that's Jesus Christ. And we're to communicate to a world that's lost, which means we need to speak the language of the culture. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking profanity, and I'm not talking about stuff that's just way out there. I'm talking about communicating in a way that people can understand. And I learned this one a very, very painful way. And uh, I, I think I've always known, because I, I grew up in the church, but I've always known that there's kind of a, a church lingo that, that exists. And that there was a type of undercurrent in, in the church that I grew up in that said, we would love to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We'd love to share God with you. But you need to learn our language. You need to learn it first. And to be honest, sometimes it was like you were speaking a foreign language. And I, I've shared this before, but it's because it, it marked me. In a, in a good way, but in a very sad way. Because I can remember when I was 17 and a, a co-worker of mine named Donnie. And Donnie, let's just say his life was a mess. And I remember watching him for, for several months and I finally came to a point and I said, you know, God, I want to reach him for you. You know, God, if you'll just give me a chance to talk to him. I'll do it. Now, Donnie had been kicked around most of his life. He got kicked out of his home when he was 14. 
He'd been on his own. And he had spent most of his evenings, if he was not at work, he was high or drunk or both. We worked the the midnight shift together at Kroger's, and uh, I remember one morning we were clocking out. And Donnie and I would usually just talk about what was coming up, or he'd tell me about a concert he'd been to or something. But he started very different that day because we were getting ready to clock out, and he goes, Damon, there's something, something different about you. You seem to have it all together. Now, first of all, I did not have it all together. It may have seemed that way, but it wasn't. But in that moment, you could have knocked me over because I had been praying for for that window, for that opportunity to to share with him. And so I said, what are you doing right now? You want to go have some breakfast? He's like, sure. And so we went across the street, Taco Gringo. Well, it was kind of like dinner for us, you know. We had a long conversation, several hours. And I remember starting to share with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And I realized after several attempts at it that Donnie did not understand anything I was saying because I was speaking Christianese. It was the church language. And finally, after stumbling and fumbling, In my mind, I remember just saying, all right, Damon, forget everything you know and just talk to him. And I talked to him about Jesus Christ. I talked to him about what he had done in my life. What a difference that God was making in my life. And then I talked to him about why he needed Jesus Christ in his life. And at a point in our conversation, Donnie looked me in the eye, and he rarely would look me in the eye. But he looked me in the eye, and he said, Damon, I want that. And right there in the middle of Taco Gringo, I prayed for him, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. And I think, I look back on that, and I think, wow, God, you used me. Then I invited him to church. Now, I did not realize in that moment that I would be changed forever. I mean, I was so excited, so jazzed. Donnie's coming to church. I led him to Christ. And I remember us sitting down in the pew, and it was the very first time I had ever looked at our church through the eyes of somebody else. And friends, it rocked me. I mean, seriously rocked me. I looked around and the the surroundings that we were in, some of it didn't make sense. It was almost dinosaur-like. The the music was archaic. You know, Donnie was into Queen, and he's going, what is this? That's a hymn, okay? Enjoy. I love the hymns, by the way, for me. But Donnie's going, "What what is going on? Then the pastor started preaching, and he's using all kinds of theological terms. And about five minutes into the message, Donnie kept going, What's that mean? What's that mean? What's that word? I've never heard that before. And then I finally just said, I'll talk to you about it after the service. Friends, I saw the church. 
speaking Christianese. And friends, I sat there that day and I, I made a pledge to myself and to God. I said, God, if you ever give me the opportunity to lead a church, if you ever give me an opportunity to minister, I will do whatever it takes to provide a compelling and creative and biblically focused message that people can understand. Because I know there are scores of Donnies in in the world. We have a church like that. That's not archaic. That's not dinosaur-like. That's not boring. That's high-octane. That's here to serve and to reach a lost world. And friends, this, this is huge. Because eternity is in the balance. We need to communicate the most important message in the world, in all eternity, because it marks eternity, we need to do that as clearly as we possibly can, as a church and as individuals. Something else that uh, just uh, gets under my skin is Christians that think church is about them. And honestly, if you dig into it, that's kind of the philosophy for life because everything is kind of filtered through this meistic mentality that seems to be so popular in our society. What's in it for me? That doesn't work for me. I don't care about that. I don't think we need to be doing that because it doesn't meet my needs. Me, 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 me. The church is not about me. The church is not about you. The fact is, the church is about God. It's about worshiping God. It's about what God can do in and through me. It's about what God's agenda is for my life. It's about reaching people that haven't come through the doors yet. I mean, when you first start coming to church and you're not a Christian, you're trying to figure things out, I think we ask the me questions. And what I want to say is, if that's where you're at today, that's okay. If you're not a Christian and you're trying to figure it out, you need to ask the me questions. Because it'll keep you motivated. It'll keep you coming back. But there is something terribly wrong when Christians start trying to redesign the church to decide what's in and out because we base the church on me. You know what? What's in it for me? That doesn't work for me. I need this. I don't like that. That needs to go. And that meistic mentality, ultimately, we end up kind of pursuing self-interest. And I'll be honest with you, it just screams, I'm self-centered. Everything's about me. And I have watched this one corrode the heart. I've watched Christians that have quit being Christians that God's called them to be. I've watched churches that have quit being the churches that God's called them to be. And I've watched denominations that have quit being the denomination that God wants them to be because it's all about me. You know, I've watched uh, things become not only ineffective, but destructive. Churches that, that suddenly operate with the mentality, it's about me, the church exists for me, my whims, my preferences, my needs. Friends, watch out on this one. Because it leads you down a very troublesome path. Because what happens is, that mentality 
spills over. And pretty soon, we're redesigning the church. We're redesigning scripture. Oh, I like that passage. Mm, love, love, love it. Ooh. Hmm. That passage doesn't work for me. Let's vote on what's right or wrong. Pick and choose. Sounds American, but it's not Christian. The church is not about me. In fact, friends, that mentality goes against our God-given design as a church. It's back to the idea we talked about a couple weeks ago about one body. We are one body. It is not about me. We are part of the body. We're not to be about ourselves. It's about giving of ourselves. It's about seeing what God can do in and through me. It means changing how we look at things. The church exists for two reasons. To reach a lost world and to help Christians grow in their faith. Why do we grow? To reach a lost world. And so that we can care for one another. But we grow to reach a lost world. You do not grow so that you can show everybody all your biblical knowledge. Don't grow so that I can spend all my time feeding myself. I grow so that as I'm spending time growing with God, I can reach a lost world and care for my brothers and sisters. Paul says, now. That's like alert. Pay attention. Now, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is what? A part of it. If you're a Christian today, the Holy Spirit has gifted you to be a part of the body. The Holy Spirit has gifted you with things that make the church stronger, that make the church more effective. We all have different roles in the church, but we've all got a role to play. You know, God, God has gifted me as a, as a teacher, leader, evangelist. God's gifted me with things to use in the body. But when things get twisted... When we start thinking the church exists for me, it just gets messed up. When you realize you're part of the body, when you start functioning using your giftedness to make a difference in this world, when we do that, the church has serious impact. When when everyone starts loving and caring for one another, when we're reaching out to people that don't know Jesus Christ, what happens is when we focus there, people are encouraged. People get excited about their faith. When we do that, there's growth. There's growth in us. There's growth in the people around us. When you realize that you're making a difference, that you're marking lives, that you're marking eternity, when when the church functions that way, it is really something to behold. It's amazing. We are the body. We are the church. 
We exist for the church. Here's another one that bothers me. Christians that never seem to grow. The the fact is they they never seem to move forward in in their faith. They just kind of stagnate. And, And again, this is really more sad maybe than irritating. But if you're a Christian, you should be able to look back on your Christian life and you should be able to see movement. You should be able to look on your life and see change and see growth. It's okay if you fail once in a while and you go, man, I'm really battling. But you should see something happening. And I've seen this one play out a couple different ways. And they're, they're both about as destructive as the other. One is Christians that, that live kind of a spiritual V8 life. You know, just veg, no movement, no change, never read their Bibles, hit and miss with church, not not in a small group, not serving, not using their giftedness, seldom pray. Well, if there's a crisis, we do. Friends, because you give no effort, no growth. That's, that's one way I've seen it happen. The other is I've watched Christians that intellectually engage. They learn all kinds of things. But there's a disconnect between the brain and the heart. A disconnect between the learning and the living. How many of you have ever met a know-it-all? Don't point, Okay. Maybe I'm the only one, but sometimes if I get around and I'm around someone a lot, I'll kind of think, you know, you know a lot. I don't say this, but I'm thinking it. You know a lot. I don't think you know anything. I find that a lot with Christians. They know a lot of stuff. They know how they ought to act. They know how the church should function. They know the Ten Commandments and how it applies to other people's lives. They know what God has to say on all kinds of fronts. They know a lot of stuff. But it's all above the neck. Got a lot of head knowledge. But it never impacts. And friends, when that happens, it just leaves you cold. You know, devoid of emotion, passion. When when you allow information to impact your heart, Paul would tell you that's what transforms you. That's what changes you. Paul says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with their lies. Culture's good at that, by the way. So clever, they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in what? Every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. You may know a lot, but here's my question for you. Are you growing 
are you growing? I mean, you may have everyone around you fooled. But here's what I know. In the the back of your mind, you're very aware of the game that you're playing. In fact, I would argue if your faith's real, if your faith is worth much, it will absolutely impact your life. You will see growth. You, you have to let God's word infiltrate your heart. When, when your heart is moved, it will energize you. It will motivate you to action. And when we act, friends, we grow. And I'm not talking about acting like TV acting. I'm talking about when we take movement and act, we grow. Because if it's just information, that's not growth. In fact, some of you are educated way beyond your level of obedience. You already know what you should be. You already know what you should say. You already know what you should do. And I'll be honest, that should irritate you. That should get under your skin. When you think about the disconnect between what you know and who you are, that's what pushes me in my life. That's what allows you to grow. I know I should do this. I know God wants me to do this. I know I was made for this. But inside, we're like, but I I don't want to. I don't feel like it. Sunday was with our grandkids. um, It was about a year and a half ago, and uh, she was taking care of all the grandkids, and Ethan and Isabella at the time were in school, but Dason was not. He was three at the time. And so it was, a, it was kind of snowy out. It was very cold. And the kids needed to catch the bus. And so Cindy had to take all of them to the bus stop. And as they were waiting, Dason kept complaining that his hands were cold. And he didn't, he didn't have gloves. And uh, so he finally taught Grandma out of her gloves which isn't hard to do, by the way. The bus came, picked up Ethan and Isabella, and as they're driving off, Dason says to, to Grandma, he says, can we go to the park? And uh, Grandma said, no, it's too cold. And we wish we had this on video, but she said he turned to her and he goes, baby, 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 <laughs> you know. And so I use that line once in a while now, and we kind of kind of laugh about it. But some of you, when it, when it comes to your spiritual life, and this is going to be cold, but in the words of my grandson, baby, 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 and you go, man, that's harsh. Well, it's not near as harsh as what James had to say. James says this in 417. He says, anyone who knows the right thing to do but does not do it is sinning. Jesus one day was asked what the greatest commandment was. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Friends, when you let it sink in, what God has done for you, 
when you let it sink in that he died for you, that he gave it all for you, when you let it sink in how much he loves you, even when you're unlovable, the the fact that God wants the very best for your life, when you pause long enough and, and take that in, let it saturate not only your mind, but it needs to saturate your heart and your soul. And when it does, I think it changes you. There's one more thing, and this is very closely related, but it just irritates me when people have a passion, but they never grow in their skills. They never grow in their knowledge or their leadership. Passion is great, but it should motivate us. That passion should push us to develop and to improve ourselves. You know, to to stretch ourselves so that we can be more effective in whatever it is we we do. I remember when I first was in ministry, I started preaching when I was 16. And uh, I had a deep passion for God early on. I wanted to share what Jesus Christ had done in my life. I wanted to tell people about it. I wanted to let them know how God could change their life. And so I would get opportunities. I've preached in about every Christian church in a 40-mile radius of, of Springfield. And when I would get the opportunity, friends, I would lay it out there. Whatever the topic was, hammer down. And when I'd get done, and I'm not happy to say this, but when I would get done, I'd have prayer, and as I was driving home, I would be thinking in my mind, well, I told them. A lot of passion. And at that point, I thought that was enough. I didn't think it mattered if people were connecting with me. It didn't matter if they even heard. I told them. And God just shook me awake at a point. You know, I realized over time... That zeal, passion, are are a great thing. But I realized I needed a lot more than that. I needed to study more than I was. I needed to pray more than I was. I needed to improve my communication skills. I needed to develop my leadership skills. I needed to be able to show people how I struggle, how I fail. I needed to learn more than just telling and sharing. I needed to learn to love them first. I needed to love people like Jesus Christ loved them, which isn't easy. I mean, it's tough sometimes. I needed to develop a genuine concern that would motivate me to want the very best that God had for them. And friends, I have spent the last 30 years of my life, that's most of my life, Adding to the passion. You know, always stretching, always trying to grow. It's a lifetime commitment. And I believe that's true about everything in your life. Some of you are passionate about your children. You're passionate about your marriage. You're passionate about finances. You're passionate about your vocation. But I want to tell you, passion is not enough. You need to commit yourself to growing. 
in every area. You know, read God's Word and begin applying it. Read Christian books on on parenting, on, on marriage, on finances or whatever. Read leadership books. Become a better leader. What's frustrating you today? What area of your life is frustrating? Maybe something at work. Maybe something in your marriage. Maybe something with your kids, finances, your spiritual life. Whatever it is that's frustrating you, I will bet you, if you would dig around, and if you're willing to be honest with yourself, if you will look, you will find that is the area where you're not growing, where you're not learning new skills, where you're not adding much to the equation. I have watched people do this their entire lives. I've watched Christians do this in ministry. They, they have a passion for a particular area of ministry. And man, they come in and they are full of zeal and then they never develop. They never add to the skill set. And what happens is they spend most of their time frustrated because things don't work out how they planned. And this one's tough to watch. It is really hard to watch Someone that has a passion, has a heartbeat for something. But they fail to understand the importance of adding to. They fail to understand the the importance of adding that that skill set or or whatever it is. Whatever is frustrating you today, I want to challenge you. Focus on that area and learn a new skill. In fact, you might be amazed what would happen if you were to do that. Heart's important. Passion is good. But you need to add to it. There are just a few things that irritate me. I honestly filled the whole page up, but I didn't think we were up to it today. So, What irritates you? Let's have a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, I thank you that you never get irritated. I'm sure we break your heart. I'm sure there are times you just shake your head. God, you're always there trying to love us back. One of the very best for us. God, I pray that um, we live our lives. That be a reflection of how great you are. God, I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, I thank you for the future. Pray that we would use every opportunity, that you would use us. We give you the glory and praise this day. Amen.